Welcome to Gimme Some Truth. I'm Kevin Castro, your podcast producer, and your co-hosts are Clint Walkner and Nate Condon, the co-owners and financial advisors at Walkner Condon Financial Advisors in Madison, Wisconsin. This is a podcast series dedicated to illuminate some of the darkness around fees, conflicts of interest, and the motivation behind recommendations in the financial planning industry. Here are your hosts. to get some feedback from people uh, trying to find out a little bit more about if they could tell their younger self something about investing or finances, what would that be? And Nate and I will comment a bit on some of those responses. So, Nate, one of the, what's one of the things that uh, somebody wants to redo? So reading directly from the response that we got, um, start thinking of the future early in life. Saving any amount at an early age is a benefit. So this is practical advice for uh, the masses, if you will. Clint and I try to counsel people that, you know, starting today versus tomorrow is good. Starting this week versus next week is good. Regardless of your age, um, starting whenever you can, uh, at the earliest ages, if possible, uh, just has profound effects on the amount of money that you have in the future and what it does for a retirement plan. Yeah, we can always run a compounding calculator, and that obviously shows that you know the compounding looks great over a really long period of time. But I think the most important thing about savings is getting started and being consistent with it, because you truly do just kind of put it together into a budget and you make it work. So if we ask somebody, hey, raise your 401k contribution by 1% every single year, it's actually quite easy to fit into somebody's budget because the raises are commonly more than 1%, and also that savings habit just kind of doesn't get noticed. So uh, that's the easiest way to do it. The hardest thing for Nate and I to do is to ask somebody to actually reduce their lifestyle and to find that money to try to save. So if you can build it in early and develop that habit, Uh, It's a lot easier to do it that way rather than have to go the other way. Yeah, it really comes down to the habit piece of it more than the money itself. Um, It seems as though people have a harder time kind of starting the habit than they do, um, you know, putting themselves in a position where they say, I can't afford to do it. It's a a behavior. It's a learned behavior more than anything. And so, again, the starting early in life, um, even to the extent of, of, you know, people in their teens and early 20s, uh, it, it's not about the 10 or 15 or $20 a week or even a month that they're able to save. It's the fact that they're learning on a monthly basis or a weekly basis that putting money away for the future is not a, it's a choice. It, it's, it's a necessity. Um, and so the earlier that we learn that behavior, the better off we are. Yeah. I think one of the things to teach, if you have any children and they're doing babysitting jobs or even jobs of cutting the grass or doing chores and getting an allowance is, um, encouraging them and in some cases kind of forcing them to save a portion of what they make and put that away into savings and then allowing them to spend some of that money as well. Uh, You know, it's a kind of way where we can't teach them just to save and we can't teach them just to spend. We've got to teach them that balance. Yeah, it's uh, the same advice that 
honestly, it's, it's that we give to people that are in their 30s and 40s and 50s. You know, when you get a raise at work, when you get a bonus, when you get some uh, money that you weren't expecting, uh, the behavior is the same. You know, whether it's it's $10 or $10,000, the behavior is the same. You know, if we have gotten in the behavior when, when it's $10 to save, you know, two of that $10, then when it's $10,000, it just makes sense for us to save, you know, 2000 of the 10000 Yeah, one other thing to uh, realize is that if you ever get a tax refund back at the end of the year, that's your money. That's not found money. That's not money that can just get spent. So I think a lot of people have that misconception that that is all of a sudden found money and they just go out and blow it. So, uh, you know, when you do get a tax refund back, you're just refunding your own money that you withheld too much of on your taxes throughout the year. So (laughs) just note that. Kevin, when did you start saving money? At what age? I mean, I had a job all through my four years of high school. Always an overachiever. Yeah. That's right. Well, please don't you. tell us that you've never saved any money. That would really, that would really wreck this whole thing. I was like, what did you want me to say? Oh, yeah, I'm not even saving right now. What did you want me to We're say? We're going to pause the podcast here for a second and have a conversation <laughs> with Kevin about his long-term future. All right, we'll take him off the hook on that one. I'm not the advisor, so whatever. <laughs> but, Kevin, you do save money, right? When I did do. you start? When do you do. start putting it away? Was it something that your parents you know, instilled in you? Yeah, they did. And back in high school, I mean, graduation parties and all that stuff definitely got a nice little lump sum to start off college with. And since then, still try to put as much away as I can. So, All right. On the heels of that one, let's look at a different response that we got from a client. Uh, save at least 10% of every dollar you make. Uh, it sounds similar to the first response we got, but it is a little bit different in, in terms of its uh, uh, pointedness and, and um, the, the specific nature of it. Uh, Clint and I agree with this recommendation of 10 to 15 percent of gross uh, income should be saved. So we get asked that question a lot, which is, you know, how much should I be saving? And, and obviously, um, you know, we can run very detailed, um, you know, algorithmic based financial plans for people. But if we're looking for just a, a really uh, garden variety rule of thumb, you know, 10 to 15 percent of gross income is a great place to start. Yeah, and I say that with the caveat of uh, more for long-term slash retirement savings for that amount. If you're looking to lump some, uh, you know, coll- or if you're looking to do college savings on top of that and other savings goals that are in the interim that may not be quite as much savings as you need. But uh, I generally tell people about 15% of pre-tax savings towards retirement slash long-term financial planning goals. Yeah, it's difficult for people as they go through phases of their lives. I mean, obviously, daycare expenses uh, are... are um <laughs> more than mortgage payments in, in a lot of cases. And so they'll go through phases of your life where that 10% is difficult, if not, um, in some cases, almost impossible. And we understand that. So whether it's a year in and year out, every single year we're able to hit that, or whether it's, a, you know, we try and do what we can do, and most years we're able to hit that, it, it's a good, a good target, if nothing else, for us to shoot for. All right, let's take a look at another one. Um, a dollar now is worth more than a dollar later. What does that mean to you? Well, I think you look at it in a bunch of different ways, but uh, the thing that I think of with my economics brain is inflation. So a dollar today is worth more than a dollar in the future for sure because if we look at the price of a gallon of milk or you look at a price of a car or et cetera, uh, in most cases, technology notwithstanding, since that's gotten cheaper over time as have flat screen TVs. But as a general rule, the goods and services that we consume are going to be more expensive in the future. And therefore your dollar is worth more today. So those are things to 
think about and put into your financial plan because inflation does have an impact on all of our numbers and the higher inflation is the more insidious it is so you know if we go over a 10-year period and we had inflation rates that are more towards the norm because now inflation is pretty low uh, you know, you've got to incorporate that into your financial plan. And if you don't do that, uh, you know, what's going to happen is you're going to realize 10 or 20 years from now that things are markedly more expensive. And if you don't put those dollars to work for you compounding, um, you know, you're not going to have as much uh, later on. It's just your purchasing power will erode. And purchasing power is really difficult to take a look at over short periods of time. Yeah, it's sometimes referred to as the silent killer because it's just something that we, we can't see it happen on a day-to-day, week-to-week, month-to-month basis because it doesn't move that quickly, um, at least in the inflation environment we have now back in the you know 70s and 80s. People could see things get you know, drastically more expensive from even a year-over-year basis, but you know, we're in more of a normal, if not below normal, situation now. So it's harder to see it, uh, which is why it's known as the silent killer, but... If we think about the fact that just in general on normal inflation rates, we're going to have goods double in cost about every 15 to 20 years, um, it gives us a, you know, a pretty big pause when we think about the you know, cost of a vehicle going from you know, average vehicle of, say, $30,000 nowadays to $60,000 know, 15 to 20 years from now. So money that does not at least keep pace with inflation uh, is eroding. It doesn't make that money bad. If that money needs to be purely liquid, that's the cost we pay to, to have it be purely liquid. But it is just understanding the fact that we will buy less goods with a dollar, $10, $100 today than we will a year from today uh, or two years from today. Yeah, I think it's really interesting because uh, people in Kevin's age category and maybe slightly older than Kevin, uh, they really haven't seen inflation very high and they haven't really seen high interest rates either. So, you know, they haven't really lived through that as a consumer. You know, when they were born, uh, inflation was obviously higher and interest rates were higher, but they haven't really lived through any sort of higher inflation and or higher interest rate environment in the course of their uh, investing career. So it's, it's going to be interesting to see what happens and what sort of behaviors occur when that does happen, because history will eventually end up repeating itself. And it's funny what we peg it to in our own lives. You know, I remember when I was in high school and I'll, for whatever reason, I'll remember this until I die. Extra value meal at McDonald's, $3 and 14 cents. Yeah. After tax it was two ninety nine, and then yep. it was $3 and 14 cents. And it's a funny thing to kind of think about, and I don't know why that sticks in my head, but, you know, you look at it now, and it's, you know, what, five, six bucks, something like that. So you're looking at almost double the price, uh, and in some cases more than double. And so it, it is a real effect on our budget. So That was the number two, by the way, with the two cheeseburgers. Is that the one that you got? Well, you always went with that one. I don't know. I don't even know why they offered the other ones. I mean, everybody went with the number two. Some people, you know. people like the QP with cheese. The what? Quarter pound with cheese. Uh, <laughs> this is true. Yeah, this is true. But I think the, the, the number two with a Coke pretty standard yeah you know. except for or the high c except for the high c was fantastic <laughs> for the me quarter pounder with cheese or uh, i was gonna say uh, two cheeseburgers plain with cheese that's it <laughs> plain no no nothing i buy yeah with a coke wow yeah kevin do you uh do you do you remember anything being more expensive now than than back when you remember it or are you just too young in life to to peg that i'm gonna play the too young <laughs> Sure. Most kids, I'm drawing a blank. Sure. All right, let's the move. The dollar menu is just, it's no longer well, the dollar, dollar menu. doesn't exist right. anymore. Yeah, McDouble is 30 cents more than it used to be. That's a. Oh, what was the Taco Bell? Two Taco Bell was what? It was like 49 cents, 69 cents, 89 cents, because they had like a three tier deal too that uh, 
that they had for a while, but I think it was 49 cent tacos. Cause I think we used to get yeah, like right. 10 tacos for under five bucks. <laughs> it was crazy. I'm sure that's good meat. Moving on from our conversation of quality fast food. All right. So the final question that we received uh, has to do with college planning and the, um, the, the different kind of ways that we can look at higher education now in comparison to, um, you know, five, 10, 15 years ago. And, and not that these are earth shatteringly different, but I think that the view of these or the perception of these um, is quite a bit different. So the um, client that wrote this actually, um, and thank you for the, the detail that they went into here, kind of layered out maybe three or four or five different um, kind of examples of what they were talking about. The first one is considering the technical college route for the first two years, which I think is fantastic advice. Oh, that's great advice. Um, and particularly just speaking about Wisconsin, I mean, they have automatic acceptance into a lot of schools. If you complete uh, the two-year degree, I believe it's if you have basically automatic acceptance in just about any UW school if you finish the two years. I don't know if that's still the case, but I know that was the case for a while. So, I mean, it's markedly less expensive to go that route than it is to just enroll directly into the four years. So if you can get all your credits to transfer and you can get automatic acceptance. I mean, what a cost saver. Yeah, it's it's changing now to the extent where tech college, at least from from our experience uh, back when, when Clint and I were at that age, uh, was more of almost kind of your trades college, um, you know, skilled trades and things like that. Now it's looked at uh, in a completely different light, and uh, it's definitely a uh, an option that Clint and I are, are both big, big fans of because – uh, the cost of college is really starting to get uh, to the point where it's it's uh, almost unaffordable for a lot of people out there. That's right. I mean, hopefully that cost curve bends out at some point, but it's running at a 6% inflation rate right now, which is just incredibly high. I mean, the prices of these double, and you know, hopefully we're going to have some people in Washington that end up you know, being able to address this because it's just, it is truly out of control at this point, and you don't want college to end up being only upper middle class people that can afford it. So they're going to have to do something about that. Um, and, and hopefully it's somewhat of a free market type of solution, but I don't know what it's going to be. Yeah. I think a lot of it is, is kind of viewing all the options, um, and, and deciding what one is right for the, uh, the student. Uh, I know that, um, you know, the, the kind of the rule of thumb was always, you just applied and whatever was the best college you got into, uh, that you got accepted to is the one you went to. And now we have to look at it and say, well, if that, quote, best college that you got accepted to, you know, runs at a cost of forty-five, fifty, $55,000 a year, um, not to throw stones, but when we look at some of the other Big Ten schools, uh, that's, what we're, that's what they're costing these days, and, and Ivy League is, is uh, at least that high, if not higher. Yeah, I remember when I was going to, uh, looking at schools, and I applied to a few different schools, and I wanted to look strongly at Wake Forest, and one of the first... Uh, financial uh, sort of big decisions that I had to make that would have an impact on my future. My parents said to me, well, you know, we'll help you out for the uh, vast majority of your expenses. But if you go to like a Wake Forest, well, we'll pay up to, you know, what a public in-state would be at Wisconsin. You're on your own for the rest. And I looked at those numbers and uh, yeah, there was quite a bit different. So uh, a difference in those numbers. So it, it made my decision a little bit easier there is that I, uh, you know, it just comes down to dollars and cents sometimes. And sometimes the affordability factor uh, is just a huge, huge thing. Uh, and, and you're just going to have to take that into account. I mean, everybody would like to go to a different school in a different state 
without any sort of regards to cost, but that's just not the case anymore. I mean, you just have to do that. And we also have to consider what the student is potentially going to study. Um, you know, if they're going to rack up, you know, $200,000 of college debt and they're only going to earn $40,000 over the course of their career per year, I mean, that's a crushing amount of student debt that that student may not ever be able to get out of. So if they can't get any help on that, um, you know, they really do have to consider that. So, you know, and I also heard that they, you know, a lot of times they just say, well, just go get a liberal arts degree and you'll be fine. And, uh, you know, I don't know if that's the most sound advice anymore. I mean, we don't need to turn everybody into financial planners and engineers, but, uh, you know, it is a situation where you have to have a realistic discussion you know, among the parties involved to determine, okay, what are they going to actually possibly earn and what sort of debt they're going to exit college with? Yeah, it's a conversation that if it's not happening right now between parents and, um, you know, high school kids, it it needs to um, because we're to the point now and the the decisions that we make, um, you know, for people that are 15, 16, 17, 18 years old, as Clint alluded to, you know, these decisions could have hundreds of thousands of dollar ramifications in life. And so um, having a conversation like that with uh, a high schooler is it's not good advice. It is required advice because um, we're talking about numbers of commas and we have to be real careful when that happens. Yeah, we all have to remember that college is only four or for some people five years. And if you're going to have something that impacts 60 years of your life because of four or five years, I mean, we just really have to be so careful about that because you can actually wreck yourself financially for the rest of your life because you made a decision to go someplace when you're 18 for a four or five year period. I mean, it's actually kind of shocking that we have very little uh, counseling when it comes to college uh, choices. Uh, You know, it should be so much better than it is now, and it's just not. And just about anybody can qualify. I mean, it's not like you... You know, at 18 years old, it's like, you know, you don't look at credit scores and things like that. It's not like buying a home and it's an intangible asset. You know, basically it's your brain and your earning power over the course of your career. Kevin, how did you pick UW-Madison? Um, it's kind of a lot of, pro- I mean, obviously money is a big factor when you're looking at any college decision. I mean, I basically didn't even apply to schools that I knew I wasn't going to be able to afford. Like those bigger, private or farther away schools, I didn't even bother because why waste the $100 application fee if you're not going to go there anyway? Um, so I just looked at the schools that would be within the budget that was kind of set right away. I mean, I knew it was going to take on some student debt no matter where I ended up. Um, and this was UW was the best school I could, and the debt was manageable. So made the best decision based on what I thought it would do for my future as well as uh, being able to afford it financially. Yeah, that's, that's the... Uh conversation that we're hearing more and more um and and so the evolution of that conversation is interesting to see from uh you know 20 years ago to where it's at now so um the other thing to keep in mind is you know high schools nowadays are um doing some amazing things with advanced placement courses as well as um you know credits that can be used toward college um absolutely take advantage of those or, or at least explore those options with your kids because, uh, you know, for every dollar or excuse me, for every credit in college, uh, you can equate that out to some, some pretty heavy dollars of, of what each credit costs. And so yeah, some can, of that can get can taken care of. That. Yeah. I came in with a full year of credit UW. So I was able to graduate with a double major semester early. So that definitely paid off in the long run. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, I mean, again, that's what we kind of go back to when we say, you know, we have to, kind of take the blinders off and really look at all of the options and all of the different 
um, paths that are available to us when we uh, approach this decision because it's, it's uh, frankly not as easy as it was. Uh, the decision itself is not as easy as it was, um, say, 15, 20 years ago. Well, and the other thing, too, is, um, you know, this isn't meant to be a public school uh, advertisement, too. Um, so if you're looking at private schools as well, you can get credits to transfer in. And also there are a lot more negotiating uh, tactics you can use with some of those private schools, particularly some of those that have money set aside in endowment funds. And there's a lot of flexibility in private schools that people might not be aware of. So just because it's private, I wouldn't necessarily just exclude it from the list because the rack rate is really high. Um, oftentimes you can get those down to what a public in-state school costs. So they have tons of flexibility and, you know, you should shop schools against each other. Uh, it just makes economic sense. Yeah, it's uh, it's definitely the, uh, the kind of the adage of, you know, if you don't ask, you know, you're never going to know. And so if you don't ask, you know, is there something that, that a college can do, um, you know, from a cost standpoint, you know, you're, if you just assume that they can't, then uh, you may end up paying full price and they, uh, the student next to you, you might have gotten a pretty drastic discount. So we thank you for listening. And if you have any additional questions that you want us to cover in future podcasts, we'd be more than happy to tackle those as well. Uh, we look forward to talking to you soon. Advisory services are offered through Wachner Condon Financial Advisors, LLC, a registered investment advisor in the states of Wisconsin and Texas. Clint Wachner and Nate Condon are investment advisor representatives of Wachner Condon. Kevin Castro is an office manager and marketing communications specialist for Wachner Condon Financial Advisors. He is not registered, and his participation in this podcast is limited to unregistered activities and will not be providing any advice that is investment-related, nor should any comments he makes be construed as giving investment advice. Insurance products and services are offered through WC Insurance Services, LLC, Wachner Condon Financial Advisors, LLC, and WC Insurance Services, LLC are affiliated companies. Content should not be viewed as an offer to buy or sell any of the securities mentioned or as legal or tax advice. You should always consult an attorney or tax professional regarding your specific legal or tax situation. Wachner Condon Financial Advisors LLC is not engaged in the practice of law. Whenever you invest, you are at risk of loss of principal as the market does fluctuate. Past performance is not indicative of future results. Purchases are subject to suitability. This requires a review of an investor's objective, risk tolerance, and time horizons. Investing always involves risk and possible loss of capital. Long-term care, estate planning, insurance products, and tax advice are not offered through Wachner Condon Financial Advisors, LLC. Wachner Condon works on a best efforts basis and does not promise or guarantee any results. Past performance does not represent future results. Please see wachnercondon.com for additional disclosures.